Amen. Thank you so much. Beautiful singing. By the way, some of you thought what I did a moment ago was my sermon. A bunch of the rest of you were hoping it was my sermon, but not so. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. I want to speak to you today on looking into the face of the Son of God. We talked a lot about heaven, and, and uh, we talked about people going home. And so I want to speak to you about looking into the face of the Son of God. Look at Philippians chapter 2. In verses 5 through 8, we have the great humiliation of Christ, Him coming down to earth to bear the penalty of our sins. In verses 9 through 11, you have the great exaltation of Christ, exalted on high. We're going to read that second part. Look at verse 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Don't you love that name? Amen. Amen. Verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every knee, every single knee of everybody who's ever lived on planet earth. Every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for our time together. Make it profitable, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Look back at verse 10 again. It says, Every knee shall bow of things in heaven. Now, if you've got an old King James like me, and I think that's what's on the screen for you, it'll say things in heaven. But notice the word things is in italics. That means it was put there by the translators to try to make it read a little better. It's not in the original text or, or any of the copies. Uh, and so it, the, the word things doesn't, doesn't lead us, I don't think, to the exact right thought. The New King James, for instance, says those. Because we're not talking about things here. Things are not going to bow their knee. People are going to bow their knee. Beings, creatures are going to bow their knees to the Lord. So uh, the New King James would read, uh, of, of those in heaven and those in earth and those under the earth. Now who are the people who are in heaven or beings that are going to bow their knee? Well, first there's all the angels will bow their knee. And then all the people who are already in heaven, they'll gladly bow their knee along with the angels. But then there are people on earth. Who's going to bow their knee on earth? Who's on earth right now? We have saved people. We have lost people. Satan is here. He's going to bow his knee. Demons are going to bow their knees and confess that Jesus is Lord, God himself. And then the things under the earth, that's the lost people who have already died. 
and they're in hell, they're going to bow their knee along with the demons. Some demons are already imprisoned, and uh, they're going to bow their knee. Everybody who's ever lived. And with that bowing, we shall look into the face of the Son of God. Revelation 22 and verse 4 says, They shall see His face. Think about it. Everybody right here, right now, me and you, one day we're going to look into the face of the Son of God. Wow. That's an awesome thought, isn't it? Can be a little bit of a scary thought. Hebrews 10 tells us that it is a fearful thing. Some translate it dreadful, terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He's the judge of the universe. And everyone sitting here, everyone watching online, every one of us will look into the face of the Son of God without exception. Now, some of us, it may be years. Some of us, it may be months or weeks. Some of us, it may just be days or hours until that happens. That every one of us will look into the face of the Son of God. Now, I think there are three basic reactions people would have when they look into the face of Christ. Now, in, within these three, there are variations, of course, but three main responses when we look into the face of Christ. The first one, if you look back at your screen, is we're looking into His face. Some will look with unspeakable joy. These are the people who are saved and following the Lord and living for Christ and loving Jesus and following Him. Paul, for instance, said, I don't know whether, if, I had, if, if the Lord gave me a choice, I don't know whether I would go to heaven, which is far better, or stay here, which is better for the people I'm helping. And, but he said going to heaven was far better. When he come down to the end of his road, he said, the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith, and I've finished my course. Therefore, there is a crown of righteousness, not just for me, but for all them that love him and his appearing. And then, here's something Peter said. Look back at your screen for a moment. Second Peter, it says, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he talks about an abundant entry into heaven. Let me read to you a few verses leading up to that verse. It says, And besides this, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and virtue add knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. If you do these things, then this verse comes, so shall an entrance be ministered unto you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wow. In varying degrees, some people are going to look into the face of Christ with unspeakable joy. Won't that be glorious? I think those people that we looked at on the screen a few moments ago, they, they entered into His presence with unspeakable joy. Dr. Bill Pennell 
tells a story of many years ago when he was pastoring a little country church. It was a small building and a small congregation. One Sunday, a little girl from the neighborhood walked to the church, and uh, she sat by herself and listened. When the invitation was given, she came forward, and she was very poor. And she came forward and knelt, and Dr. Pennell went over beside her and, and uh, could speak to her, ask what she wanted. And, and she said, she called him Preacher Bill. She said, Preacher Bill, do you think Jesus would save a poor little girl like me? Dr. Pennell said, oh, yes, sweetheart, he loves you. And uh, so he explained a little more, and they prayed together, and she received Christ. Not long after that, she got baptized. She was baptized in the only dress she owned. And I don't mean she had other things like pants and so forth. She just had one dress to wear all the time. And she was baptized in that one dress. Nobody in her family came to see that. Her mother lived in a motel with a man she was not married to. Her father had left long before. Completely gone. She lived with her grandmother and grandfather, whom she called Ma and Pa. They were both alcoholics. They lived in a house that most people would not want to live in. And her grandparents were mean. This little girl, one time, she told... Dr. Pennell, and I'm, I'm quoting now, she said, Preacher Bill, the only sweet people I know is you and Jesus. End of quote. One time, and she never missed church, I always loved to come to church, and one time Bill was preaching on serving the Lord, and she came forward and knelt, and again he said, Why are you coming, honey? And She said, do you think Jesus could use a poor little girl like me? And he said, oh, honey, I know Jesus wants to use you. And they prayed, and she asked the Lord to use her. Sometime after that, Dr. Pennell was driving down the road, and he saw her walking down the road crying, and he stopped, and her back was bloody, and her only dress she had was torn. And so he put her in the car and took her home to his wife. And the grandfather had beat her with a belt. And so the wife stitched up her little dress and washed it and and, uh, cleaned the wounds on her back. Not long after that, she got sick, pretty sick. She saw a doctor, and then she went in to the hospital, and they run a lot of tests, and... Dr. Pennell was there visiting with her and, and talking to the doctor and so forth. And, and uh, they run a lot of tests trying to figure out what was going on. So one day when they were supposed to have all the tests in, Dr. Pennell went back to the hospital again. And as he was walking down the hallway, the doctor stopped him in the hallway and said, come talk to me a minute. And he took him into a, another room and he said, it's not good. She has a rare form of cancer. And apparently has been sick for a pretty long time. 
and she will not get out of the hospital. Said she will live probably about another six weeks. And that's all. There's nothing we can do. So the doctor left Preacher Bill and Preacher Bill said he paced the floor in there and he was, he was mad about it. He said, God, how can you let this happen? This little girl doesn't have a thing. And I keep telling her how good you are. And now you're going to let this happen to her? So he paced the floor and he thought, what am I going to say to her? What am I going to say? So he asked the Lord to give him wisdom and he stepped into the room. The little girl was in the bed. She sat up in the bed. She said, Preacher Bill, Preacher Bill, have you heard what the doctor said? He said, I get to go and be with Jesus in just six weeks. Dr. Pennell said he said to himself, you old backslidden preacher. You've been telling her how good heaven is and how wonderful it'll be to be with Jesus and now all you can think about is the other side of things. Sure enough, the six weeks went by. The doctor was right. Nobody in her family visited her in the hospital for that six weeks. One day, Dr. Pennell was sitting in her room, and she said, Preacher Bill, do you think Jesus will let me sit in his, in his lap? Dr. Pennell said, Oh, honey, I just know Jesus is going to love for you to sit in his lap. By this time, she was all swollen. So she said, Preacher Bill, Pray for Jesus to come get me now. Preacher Bill prayed. And not long after that, she went home to sit on Jesus' lap. Dr. Pennell for many years used to say, I know there's a little girl what, waiting on me in heaven. And I think she's going to run up to me and say, Preacher Bill, Preacher Bill. It's even better than, than you said. Come and see. Come and see. I think that little girl went to heaven with unspeakable joy, don't you? She looked into the face of the Son of God. She probably threw her arms around him and hugged him and cried and laughed. And Jesus let her sit on his lap and it was a glorious thing. Some people will look into the face of Christ with unspeakable joy. But then some people will look into his face with unspeakable shame. Now this is people who are saved, but they're not living for the Lord. The fact is, 1 John 2.28 says, And now little children, so he's talking to believers, Abide in him, that when he shall appear, we shall have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. That word ashamed there is a strong word in the Greek. 
It means to fall away or to shrink back in shame. Some of the newer translations translate it to shrink back in shame. Some believers are going to shrink back. They're going to turn. When they look into his face, they're going to be ashamed. Now, again, this is in varying degrees. But the Word says some will be ashamed if we're not abiding. Now, what does abide mean? John borrows that word from Jesus in the upper room discourse when he teaches the parable of the vine and the branches. When you put all the passages that talk about abiding together, it means this. A saved person who is yielded to the Lordship of Christ, who is lovingly obeying everything they know to do, and are trusting Christ for strength in their life. Abide. God says, abide that you be not ashamed. We're going to all give an account at the judgment seat of Christ. Can you imagine that? Looking into his face at the judgment seat of Christ. What kind of excuses will we give? What kind of excuses will we give that we didn't attend church? I mean, the scripture says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, which the manner of some is. Some people do that, but don't you do it. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. What are you going to say? Well, I was, I was tired and I didn't, and, you know, I didn't always feel well, and, but you went to work and you went to the grocery store and you went out to eat you went everywhere you wanted to go what kind of excuse can we give for that I don't think I've ever told this before but Karen and I got out of church when we were very young we were just married we hadn't been saved long and uh, we went to church every time the doors were open and uh, we were young newlyweds and our first summer, we bought some motorcycles, and we were, would ride motorcycles. That's right. Miss Karen and Pastor Paul, we had motorcycles. And uh, we used to ride on Sunday afternoon. I worked a lot of times on, on, every day, of course, but on Saturday, too, and so did Miss Karen. And, and so Sunday was our only day to ride, and after church, we would go riding, and then we'd come back real quick and get ready and go to church Sunday night. But eventually, as time went on, we would lose track of time and we wouldn't get back in time to go to Sunday night church. So we began to miss some on Sunday. And, and then, if you, know, if you miss some here and there, the devil tells you it's just okay. So we began to miss some on Sunday morning so we could start our motorcycle trips a little earlier, you know. Now, we weren't missing all the time. We were missing about half the time on Sunday morning, half the time or more on Sunday night. One day, my Sunday school teacher, his name was Marvin Dedman. Now, this was 50 years ago. I still remember his name. He came to our house. He said, Paul, we, we did small talk and, you know, we're talked about other things. And then as he was leaving, he said, Paul, Jesus may come this week. And if he comes this week, are you going to tell him that you didn't go to church because you were riding motorcycles? That's what he said. 
And then he left. And Karen and I have not missed a church service unless we were sick or out of town since that day for 50 years. Jesus is going to come back. It could be this week. Don't let it be the week that you stayed out of church. Be faithful. God calls his people to be faithful. And then what if we're neglecting the word? What are we going to say? What if Jesus says to us at the judgment, say, I wanted to teach you so much, but you neglected the word. Or prayer. I wanted you to know me intimately, and I wanted to fellowship with you, but you wouldn't. What kind of excuses? What about giving, tithing? Malachi says the tithe belongs to the Lord. God said about the tithe there in Malachi that he would bless you in a wonderful way if you were faithful in your giving and tithing. Tithing means, tithe simply means 10% given to, to the church, to the storehouse, it says there in Malachi. In the Old Testament, that was the temple. In the New Testament, it's the local church. Somebody has said if, if every Christian would tithe, it would free up the churches in America to do tremendous things. They could pay their bills, but not only that, they could increase their ministries of reaching the lost, and they could increase their missions, and, uh, and they could hire uh, new staff in order to minister in a better way to congregation and community, and on and on it goes. The church suffers. But what will we say at the judgment seat? I, well... I just couldn't afford to. Well, God says you can't afford not to. God says, give and it shall be given to you. In Malachi, it says, bring the tithe into the storehouse and I'll open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings on you. You want some blessings poured out in your life? Then bring your tithe into the storehouse. I'm afraid many people will be ashamed. In Revelation 2, the church at Ephesus was doing everything right on the surface. But Jesus said, I have somewhat against you. You've left your first love. They were going through the motions of Christianity, but they was not doing it because they loved Jesus. That's what ought to motivate us. We want to please Him. We love Him. That's the reason we want to give and serve and read and attend church and worship. Jesus said there, repent do your first works over again, turn it around, change it, start doing it right. So that's my advice to all of us this morning. Let's turn it around. Whatever we're doing wrong, let's turn it around and start doing it right so we won't be ashamed before Him at His appearing. And then, one, one more reaction, and that is some will look with unspeakable sorrow. This is the lost. The lost are going to look into the face of Christ as well. When they appear at the judgment, and remember, every knee's going to bow. Every loud mouth atheist that cursed God and cursed God's name and laughed at God's people, their knee is going to bow. 
Revelation 20 says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. But let me read some of the verses leading up to this. It says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat upon it, that's Jesus, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. They're going to see his face. And they're going to try to flee from his face. But there's found no place. There's no place to run. This is a controlled environment, and Jesus is in control. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things that were written according to their works. And then verse 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Some will look into the face of Christ with unspeakable sorrow. I I can't fathom it. I try not to think about it. But when you try to think about it, you just can't wrap your mind how terrible it's going to be. Sir Francis Newport was a, the head of an atheist club in England years ago. He used to draw great crowds. They'd come to hear him speak. and He would laugh at God and laugh at the church and laugh at God's people. He would take a Bible and stand on it and, and tear it and things like that in front of everybody. He would shake his fist at God. He would blaspheme and curse the whole, during the whole thing. And he would blaspheme God and said, If you're really up there and you don't like it, why don't you strike me down? Are you afraid? And all kinds of blasphemous things. When he was dying and he had his other atheists around him, he said this, and I'm quoting now, You need not tell me there is no God, for I know there is one. And that I am in his angry presence. You need not tell me there is no hell. For I already feel my soul slipping into its flames. Speaking to his friends, wretches, cease your idle talk about there being any hope for me. I know I am lost forever. Wow. D.O. Moody talked about a a man that he witnessed to off and on through many, many years. He, was a, he was a, seemed to be a good citizen, a good family man, and all of that, and he was always polite to D.L. Moody. But when D.L. Would, would share the gospel with him, he would say, well, maybe one day. I, I probably will one day, but just not today. I'm just not ready. And then he, a year later, the same thing. And as time went on, many years passed. And this man died suddenly. Dill Moody, standing in the pulpit the next week, said, I fear we have wrapped him in a Christless shroud, placed him in a Christless casket, and lowered him into a Christless grave, and sent him to a Christless eternity. You don't have to be an atheist. Everybody's lost unless they've received Christ as Savior. 
Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. No, no one. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said, you must be born again. He didn't say it's a good idea or, or it's, a, you know, it's a trendy thing to do. He said, you must be. You must be born again. 1 John 5, 12 says, He who has the Son, you have the Son of God in your life. He who has the Son has eternal life. But he that has not the Son hath not eternal life. You have to receive Christ. Be sure. Be sure you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior because we're all going to see and look into His face. Years ago, stories told about a young soldier who was fighting in the Civil War and he was wounded, seriously wounded. And uh, they took him to this makeshift hospital, this field hospital, you know, and people were laying there with legs missing and, and blood was everywhere. It was terrible. People were groaning and crying out in pain and they brought this young man in and put him in a bed. The doctor examined him and then he leaned over so that only the boy could hear him and said, Son, you're not going to make it. I hate to tell you this, but you're not going to make it. A few minutes later, the doctor heard the boy, that same boy, crying out, Oh, the blood! Oh, the blood! And the doctor ran over to him and said, Son, close your eyes. Don't look at the blood. I know it's terrible, but don't look at it. He said, I wasn't talking about that blood. He said, I'm talking about the blood of Christ. He said, I was just thinking in my heart how precious is the blood of Christ when one is facing death. Amen? Oh, the blood, he cried. Be sure you're washed in the blood. Bow with me, please. With heads bowed, Maybe you'd say, Preacher, I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved and belong to Christ. But I want you to pray for me. There's some things in my life I need to do, do better. There's some things I need to make right. I want you to pray for me. No one's looking but me. If that's your prayer, would you slip your hand up today all over the building? Yes, God bless you and you. And hands are all over the building. God bless you. You may put them down. God bless you, each one. I wonder if you'd say, Preacher, I'm not saved or I'm not sure. I want you to pray for me. No one's looking but me and no one's going to come to you or embarrass you or anything, but I want to pray for you. Preacher, I'm not saved or I'm not sure. Pray for me. Would you slip your hand up right now? All over. Yes, God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. Yes. I'm looking around. Hold it up long enough for me to see it, would you? You may put them down. God bless you. I tell you what I do with our heads bowed. I'm going to lead us in a simple prayer. And if you need to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can pray this prayer today and really mean it. And if you do, the promise is, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The promise is, if you open the door, Jesus said, I will come in. Pray this prayer with me. Not out loud, but in your heart. He knows what you're thinking. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I have sinned. I'm a sinner. And I need forgiveness. 
And I believe you died on the cross for me and rose again from the dead. Right now, I call on you. I open my heart. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart and forgive my sin. Thank you for coming in like you promised you would do. Help me now to live for you. In Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me and you really meant it, still no one's looking but me. If you prayed that prayer and you really meant it, would you slip your hand up so I can pray for you? Anyone? Yes, God bless you, sir. Anyone else? Yes, God bless you. Anyone else? I'm, I'm looking around the room. Anyone? Father, thank you for these that have called on you as Lord and Savior. May they claim your promise. You said, open the door, I will come in. You said, call on me and you shall be saved. Now, Lord, you saw the hands of many of your people. There are times when we need to make decisions and make some changes and do things better. Learn to abide in you. Teach us. May we have willing hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me, please. Words on the screen.